Hey folks, you're listening to How to Win a Campaign, where you get an insider's perspective that teaches you not only how to run a campaign, but how to win one. I'm Joe Fold. And I'm Martin Diego Garcia. And you can find us at CMPWRKSHP on Twitter and at the Campaign Workshop on Instagram. Welcome and thanks for listening to this episode of How to Win a Campaign. On our last episode, we were able to discuss all things ballot measures with the team over at the Ballot Initiative Strategy Center. So if you haven't taken a listen yet, please make sure to go back and check that one out. So Joe, I know you started the campaign workshop back in 2009, but I know that's not when your actual consulting career started. Because this episode is all about choosing consultants, how did you get into this line of work? Well, it all started out for me like I was a college student and I actually did an internship with a media consultant here in Washington, D.C. named Peter Fenn. And I really sort of fell in love with the creativity of working with groups, organizations and candidates. And I had a conversation with Peter one day where I'm like, hey, if I wanted to have your job, how do I get there? And he said, go out on the road for six years and work with groups, organizations, campaigns. And so that's what I did. And long story short, after being a professional campaign manager, being a chief of staff in the New York State Legislature, I then went to work at the Democratic National Committee, then went to work at multiple political consulting firms, Bates Neiman, MSHC Partners, and then started this company, the Campaign Workshop, where we do advocacy and political consulting and digital direct mail and training. We do a lot of fun things. But Martine, how did you get into this? Well, the short answer is you, Joe Fold. But (laughs) the longer answer is, while I was working at the LGBTQ Victory Fund and Institute, I had the great fortune of having you on our training team. And when I was still sort of figuring out my career in the political space, I knew I wanted to be in the political space. It was sort of what got me up in the morning and and the desire to make an impact in the world. And having been on the organizational side, when I decided to uh, leave that organization, you talked me into coming and seeing a different angle of the political industry. And it's it's sort of history ever since. But in the same vein, right, I jumped back out into the into the organizational world and was able to work at a couple of other groups and organizations to really hone in my experience and my knowledge and figure out what I really wanted to spend my time doing. And when I came back to the campaign workshop a couple years ago, I had a much better sense of the types of groups and organizations I wanted to work for, the ways in which I wanted to support them, and felt like I had the knowledge and the skill sets to do that in the strategy and training space. So there are different paths to get to where we are, but if you're interested in potentially becoming a a political consultant, always feel free to reach out to us over at the campaign workshop. We have a great episode for you today where we're going to be discussing how to choose a political consultant or organizational consultant and specifically what questions you should ask to ensure you're getting the most value for your buck. And we talk about the roles of political consultants, the types of political consultants, and what you should be thinking about as you determine what is the right fit for your campaign. Definitely. And so, Joe, as groups and organizations or our listeners are really considering hiring a political consultant, where should they even get started? Well, so the first thing I think you need to do before you talk to a political consultant is really sit down with your organization and get a sense of what are the ways in which you're going to engage voters, whether this is a political campaign for a candidate, for a ballot measure, an independent expenditure campaign. There's lots of campaigns out there. It could be a membership campaign for your group where you're trying to increase membership. Whatever it is, there's likely a consultant that can help you. 
but you need to think about what is the need on your team? What are you looking for? And whether it's a digital consultant, a general consultant, a pollster, a direct mail consultant, television consultant, you have to think about what is your primary need. You also need to think about the kind of experience that you are looking for in a political consultant. Do you want someone who's managed several campaigns? Do you want someone who's experienced in television or digital? Do you, again, want someone that is helping move an organization? It's going to depend. But once you figure out what your needs are, then what you want to do is sit down and write a request for a proposal memo or an RFP to send out to multiple firms. Again, you also want to have a sense of budget. You want to think about this, but a firm then can give you a response to your RFP and you can see does it fill your strategic needs? Does it fill your budgetary needs? All of those things are important. Martin, do you have any advice for campaigns trying to narrow down their list of consultants? Absolutely. I think first and foremost, as you mentioned, budget, right? I think most campaigns and organizations are probably thinking money first, right? How much does it actually cost to hire a political consultant? And what I'll say is it depends, right? The, the price is going to vary depending on the service that you're looking for and will vary from firm to firm. So as you are building that request for proposals, you really should be asking those firms for a pricing sheet or a quote or some type of strategy that outlines for you what do you get from them and how much is it going to cost? So it gives you a really better sense of what you need to budget as a campaign or an organization. Also, you should be asking, well, who's going to be working with your campaign or organization on the day-to-day? -day? Who's going to be your primary contact and who are you actually paying for, right? Are you paying for the top of the top and you're paying for the head of the firm or the principals? Or are you really working with an account person from a day-to-day -day perspective? Because it's important for you to know which expertise and which brand you're going to have side-by-side -side with you as you partner with these consulting firms. And then lastly, right, based on that information, you should choose a strategy or a proposal or a firm that you actually think best suits your needs and helps you actually accomplish your goals and get the job done. Because at the end of the day, we're all just trying to run successful campaigns. And so you want to choose the political firm that most aligns with you and your group and your organization, both culturally and experience-wise, to help you achieve that goal. Because uh, we all know that there are different services political consultants can offer, right? We've listed some fundraising, digital, direct mail. But Joe, what role or amount of influence do you think political consultants have in determining a campaign's full political communications plan? I think they have a lot of influence, but it really depends on what they're getting hired for and the scope of the organization, right? In some places, we have been the only consultant hired. And in some places, we're on a team of 10 different communications consultants working together. So it depends on the scale and scope of it and what the need is. I think you also really have to have an understanding of budget. There are lots of different costs and price levels of consultants out there. You really need to compare them and you need to understand what you're getting for your dollar. And you need to have a process to think through this. I think often what happens is that organizations or campaigns don't really sit down and think about what their need is. What is the end goal that they're trying to get this consultant to do for them? And making sure you're thinking about the right medium, the right way in which this consultant likes to work and communicate and making sure that's a fit for you is really, really important. Absolutely, right. And I want to remind our listeners, right, as you were thinking about hiring consultants, 
you need to remember that, yes, these consultants come in with a good bit of experience and a good bit of uh, knowledge on whatever you're hiring them for. But ultimately, you're the boss, right? So you actually do get to call the shots. So going in, knowing what you were looking for and having strategic goals and outcomes that you were trying to achieve with these particular consultants, it's really going to help you create that partnership with these consultants versus uh, them coming in and, and either running the show or you two are you in the consulting firm butting heads. So knowing what you want and moving forward in that way is going to be really helpful. But ultimately, remembering that you get to make the campaign's decisions and how you want to be represented. That's right. As a consultant, I like to say that there are usually a few good paths to winning and there are a few paths to losing, right? I want to keep you away from those losing options and I want to work together in partnership with you to get you on the right path. But the other thing I want to say is if you're not going to follow any advice at all, don't hire a political consultant. If you want help figuring out your organization or your political strategy, hire someone that fits you. Ask a lot of questions. Do that early on. Don't just hire the first person you talk to. Don't hire them because they're on a podcast. Hire them because you think that they can connect with you and solve your problem. So up next, I'll be talking with Mary Hughes, who gives some incredible insight into this process. See you after the break. Mary, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So how did you first get involved in politics and then political consulting? You know, I had a long interest in politics and even as a high schooler was involved in some campaigns as a volunteer. And I remember uh, shortly after law school, when I should have been paying attention to being a lawyer, I was reading The Rise of Political Consultants and thinking, ooh, this is so interesting. And from there, I luckily made the transition, worked on a presidential campaign for John Glenn in 1982 to 84. And shortly thereafter, did a couple of projects, one for the DSCC, the Senate Campaign Committee, came out to California. And for the next couple of years, I apprenticed myself, an old-fashioned term, to folks who were consultants here in California. And I learned all about as much as I possibly could from direct mail to how to take a poll to what goes into a good field organization. And just serendipity then sent me off to be the executive director of the California Democratic Party, which was a master's degree in California politics over two years. And then I had the opportunity to run my first congressional campaign in 1988. And from there, teamed up with a wonderful fellow who I'd worked with, and we formed a firm in 1989. And it's been a wonderful, wonderful profession for the last 30 years. As you started out in political consulting and then as you've spent time in that field, what were the kind of races that you focused on? You know, at the beginning, you do what you do in any startup. You try to get business so that you can win a race, so that you can market that you've won a race. The races that we did at the very beginning were as important for how well we did. And I say that in contrast to the ones we won. So at the beginning, people who would come to us 
we're sort of counting on us being lean and mean and and really invested in their success. And that was absolutely right. So we came close and we won some races early on, which gave us credibility. But we also came close in races that people thought there was no way we could turn into a contest. And that was really helpful in people sort of believing that we had the right stuff to win bigger and bigger races. And so those tended early on to be municipal, um, city council, transit district races. But then very shortly after that, um, supervisor, state legislative races and congressional races. Now, we were lucky because we had sort of... um, started out in congressional races. And so there was a conferred credibility that hadn't really been won at that point, um, but which we did go on to, um, to prove. So you're known for working on barrier breaking races, especially for women. Is there a favorite one you worked on that maybe I've heard about or one, frankly, that I haven't heard about that you think is special? You know, I am proud of a lot of the women that we worked with. Congresswoman Anna Eshoo, who was my congresswoman, Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, who obviously just close to my heart, Susan Davis in San Diego. But probably the race that was the most surprising and the most instructive to me was Ellen Tauscher's defeat of Bill Baker. That was great fun. Great, yeah. great fun. And needless to say, a wonderful boost to our prospects as a firm and individually to our work. Yeah. So it was all around good. And frankly, also a really important race for the state of California to show that those districts were winnable was the beginning of a lot of folks running in these districts that people thought were unwinnable districts that became winnable, especially from these long term, I would say, incumbent white Republican men that many women took them on. Yes, that is correct. There, there is a in California, you could graph it the numbers of women who began to see the path forward and into Congress and challenging in these races, and just the number of women who were positioned then to move up through the 90s and into the last two decades. Yeah. And so one of the things that you did is you worked on, and you've been working on Close the Gap California, a campaign to fix their gender imbalance in the California legislature. Can you talk to me about how you started sort of that work and how you've moved into doing that? Everything is preamble for the next thing. So I have, since I was in college, had a particular interest in the advancement of women in leadership and particularly in politics. And so throughout my time as a consultant to individual candidates, I have looked at or tried to look at the bigger picture. And I've done a fair amount of that work with the wonderful Center for American Women in Politics at Rutgers University, where they do that all the time, every day. And so one of the things that we noted was there was an expectation after 1992, when a large cohort of women went into the House of Representatives, that, that a door had been kicked open, that more women would go through. In fact, there was only incremental additional numbers of women who were added the next several cycles. And by the time you got to the 2000s, we really had hit a flat line between 2004 and 2007 or 8, 
we weren't really adding women at all at any level. And we were hovering around 18, 19% and also at state legislatures and on and on. So that was discouraging. And so I began to think about what were strategies that could kickstart another jump right? Another big move of numbers into office. And so I experimented in 2012 with something called the 2012 Project, where we organized a nonpartisan effort across the country to get women largely between the ages of 55 and 65 to see public service as a career capper. If you were going to retire as a CPA why not run for city council and add that expertise? If you were high up in a corporation or leadership, as we have here in Silicon Valley, number of women, why wouldn't you see that as your next logical step in leadership? So we did that project and it was very difficult. As the country was polarized, we were trying to get women to play and work together across parties, and it made the recruiting work that much more difficult. Although I have to say, hats off to the women who served. We had a phenomenal faculty of former elected women from across the country, both parties, and they were all totally simpatico. I mean, they just really worked together well, but not so in the trenches. That was a, a more challenging thing to do. So I came back to focus on our state legislature because it was so out of step with other Western states. So if you look at the Oregon legislature, the Washington state legislature, Colorado legislature, they're in the high 40s. Nevada now over 50%, the lower house in Nevada is, is female. And so I wanted to experiment with the state I knew best at that point and also to say we needed the most help. I think even though we started Close the Gap in 13 and did two beta test cycles in 14 and 16, the opportunity that I saw was that in 2022, we would have all new districts, which means more open districts, right? And so women win open seats is equally to men. So that was, a, that was obvious. But in four, six, and eight in California, everyone who came into the legislature 12 years ago has to leave, creating a huge number of open seats between 22 and 28, about 90 of 120. So that being the case, we had opportunity. We knew how to recruit from our earlier work. And so we are now just moving into the sweet spot of Close the Gap, hoping that we can bring California to gender parity by 2028. So in California, right, these state legislative races are expensive races, right? Yes. In other places, running for state legislature could be cost of under $50,000 in California. Can you talk about how expensive it is and how much planning it takes to run for state legislature in California? I will, but I want to present a slight caveat to that because Please. normally you would say, well, race is really expensive. The Republicans spent this and the Democrats spent that. In California, it's a three-way conversation. The Republicans and the candidate for that party will spend X. The Democrat and the candidate for that party will spend Y. And the independent expenditures will spend equal to 
or a multiplier of the combined amount of those two. And so what you have here is an expectation that a candidate will raise between 750000 and a million dollars for themselves to run their own campaign. Meanwhile, you can expect an equal amount to be spent for and against them. And not always that much, but certainly 50% to 100% of what they are spending. So that makes our competitive races very expensive. And the more that the state has pushed out, we are a totally blue state along the coast, but it has historically been that our central valley and the, the northern and southern counties that border other states moving east are more conservative. While that is still true, it is not nearly as true. And we have pushed out those suburbs I talked about with regard to the Tauscher race, and we've pushed out farther and farther. And the state itself, as people have moved from the metropolitan coastal areas out to retire to less expensive areas, they become more purple and they are now winnable districts. So that in 2018, you saw the Democrats convert four seats here in California. We'll see how that goes in the next election. But the expense of these races is daunting, but doable. But it takes a, a real understanding of what's expected of you as a candidate. And therefore, you find that many of our candidates are experienced. They have run for local and county office, local and regional office. They are connected to donors. They don't come at those races as novices. Yeah, and so when you're talking to a candidate that is thinking about running for assembly in California, mm -hmm. what kind of advice do you give to her as they are thinking about that planning? How do they know that that's a hard number to get to, 750000 but not be intimidated by it either to say, oh, this is too hard and just walk away. How do you prepare a candidate for that reality? You know, I think the best way to do it is, is to understand the role that the candidate plays in putting that amount of money together and the structure that supports her efforts. I believe strongly in every aspect of your campaign in doing your homework. So you want to understand how much did people spend who last ran in this seat? Who came in on the side of the Democrats in that effort? Are they available to you? Do you know them? Can you meet them? Are you hiring people in your campaign team and among your consulting team who can facilitate introductions if you don't already have those relationships. All of this suggests that an interest in running needs to happen well in advance and a plan for getting to the starting line is really smart. A lot of people think that you decide to run and then you start running. I think people who are seriously interested in a career in public life learn that all of this work is like an iceberg. The part below the water is huge. The work you do to get ready, all of the things you put in place, building a team that you trust, hiring consultants who share your values, 
All of that happens out of public view. When you step onto a stage and say, I announced today that I'm a candidate for the assembly, all of that is what you're standing on and you are ready. So if you're gonna be ready to raise $750,000 as your entry ticket into this competition, you want to have done the homework, met the people, hired the fundraisers, both in your district, but also in your capital, because there is interested money in the outcome of this race that is really not familiar with your district, but is familiar with what they need to advance their agenda. And if they're interested in you and your interests and commitments align, those people will contribute as well. So you've got to really understand the full lay of the land, who are options, how do you get to them, who's gonna support you in that call time effort in those events, and just think forward carefully and then build. I think that's great. I mean, I also have been a big believer in mindset too, is are you someone as a candidate that's gonna be willing to sit down and make phone calls to your friends and family first and do that? Even though that's not where all the money is gonna come from, it's an important like first step and being able to do that homework and being willing to do that. That to me is so critical. And there are some right. candidates who just don't wanna do that. And I think that makes it very hard for them. Right, well, and I think that an experienced and good campaign team, it's very hard to make call time fun, but there are ways to think about what you're doing. You know, the best fundraisers I've ever worked with who are candidates, they take the amount of money you need, they divide it by the number of months they have, they divide it by the number of weeks they have, by the number of call days they have, and they don't leave the room until they've hit the mark for that day or that week. And it requires a discipline and a focus and a commitment that can only come from understanding the good you can do if you win. Every other toy, treat, pales. You just have to believe that you being there to cast those votes and propose that legislation is worth it. Yeah, so shifting a little bit, you've talked in this conversation a little bit about the campaign team. Can you talk a little bit about questions you wish candidates would ask when they're hiring folks on their campaign team? You know, there are a lot of factors that go into finding the right people, but the basic ones are pretty simple. Have you run a race like this before? Have you run a race like this before for someone like me, an older African-American man, a younger Asian-American woman? Do you know this territory and these voters? So let's first center, whether you're my field director, my campaign manager, or my primary consultant, do you know me, my kind of values? Do you get why I'm doing this? Have you done it here in this region? Have you won? Again, I can't overstress the importance of asking a lot of questions and asking and doing your own homework. So for everyone you interview, I'm shocked at the number of people who don't 
check references, who don't go out and ask former clients, what was this experience like for you? Win or lose and ask both kinds of people. How did this person perform? How did they perform under stress? How did they resolve conflict? Were your dealings transparent? Particularly important with consultants, I think. People will raise a certain amount of money. You'll be asked for a lot more than you've raised or can get. Decisions are hard. You can't do everything. You have to trust each other. You have to believe that each of you is after exactly the same thing, that their best efforts have gone into this campaign. And you want that, that sense from the beginning because you have done the research and asked the questions. You talked a bit about that trust mindset, which I think is like so important it that is. the consultants have to, you know, be trusted by the candidate, right? They they have to trust the candidate. The, the candidate is doing their the work, and vice versa. How do you establish that on a team from the beginning? I think a number of conversations. There are conversations in which you're going to ask. You're you're going to say to the consultant, "Let's talk about your fee." Is it a flat fee? Is it a fee plus commission? Is it a fee plus commission plus if we need to do extra? Do you bid out my work so I get the best price per unit for mail? Do you invoice me? I, the, the candidate, want to pay directly the vendor bill. I don't want to be just sending money over to your shop so that you then commission it. I don't really know that the, what the commission is. Transparency builds trust. So in hiring consultants, you want to ask a lot of questions. You want to know exactly what the financial arrangement is, but also what can I expect of you? I'm a nervous Nelly candidate. I'm going to call you at odd hours. Are you going to call me back? Am I going to be able to talk to you? Are you going to hand me off to somebody in your office who's learning the trade on my time, on my nickel? I'm not going to feel great about that. Every once in a while, I get it. How many campaigns will you be running while you're running mine? Most candidates want to believe, you know, it's like high school, high school romance. You want to believe you're the only one, but you're not. Thank you, Mary Hughes. To find out more about Mary and her work, go to closethegapca.org. Well, Martine, that was a masterclass in building your campaign team. Some of my highlights were, first of all, how Mary has really been a trailblazer in advancing women in leadership, both in California, but also throughout the country, and the work that she has done to close the gender gap in California's legislature. She's helped elect women, hire women throughout California, throughout the country. She's awesome, and it was really a pleasure to have her on the show. She gave very actionable tips around hiring and really talk through a process for hiring your campaign team. Absolutely. I think she provided some really good tips for how to think about hiring consultants and the importance of asking a ton of questions. I think as you were thinking about bringing on a consulting firm, whether based on capacity or to execute a particular service, ask all the questions during the hiring process. You should know who you're working with, how much they're going to cost, what services they're providing, what you're getting for your dollar that you're spending there, right? 
and also make sure that you're checking references. And we often tell folks, you want to check one winning reference and one losing reference to get a, a, a holistic understanding of how do these consultants work with different types of campaigns. And I really appreciated her note on interviewing multiple teams before making a decision, right? You want to shop around a little bit to make sure that you're able to compare some different proposals and, and have uh, interviews with folks to understand, what well, does this personality fit me better or does this budget fit our outcomes better so that you're making the most informed decision for your campaign. I also want to remind folks that you should probably think about uh, before going into this process, what are your must-haves in a consulting firm and maybe what are some nice-to-haves, right? So if you're a super values-driven organization and you have a high value on diversity, equity, and inclusion, you may want to be asking those types of questions to your consulting firm to make sure that you are aligning on the values of how you are going to execute this particular campaign. If there's a particular experience that you need to bring in uh, to campaign, whether it's work with a specific community or can they do uh, multi-language direct mail pieces, right? You also want to ask those types of questions because those qualities and characteristics of these different firms are going to vary from firm to firm. And so by having your must-haves and nice-to-haves, it, it'll give you a better sense of which firm is really going to give you what you need. And as Joe mentioned, have a process, right? Make sure that you write down an RFP so that you have a very clear understanding of what you're looking for. But also the, those one-on-one -on -one interviews with these consulting firms can really shed some light on who's going to work with you all best and who's going to help you accomplish the goals that you're set out to do for your campaign. Again, don't hire the first consultant you talk to. Don't shop forever either. Know your budget and think about timing. I will say this conversation made me think back to my days as a campaign manager and working for organizations and both the things I did right and the things I did wrong when hiring teams. And you really need to have a process and be thoughtful about it. So thank you again for tuning into today's episode. If you have any questions or comments about hiring a consultant, feel free to reach out to us on social media or email us. Our information can be found in the podcast description. Absolutely. And be sure to check out our next episode with our guest, Amy Walter, who's going to be talking about the power of the press. But in the meantime, be sure to like, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, this is Joe Fold and Martin Diego Garcia breaking down how to win a campaign. How to win a campaign is Joe Fold, Martin Diego Garcia, Elizabeth Rowe, Carrie Yanata, Gabriela Zwaffler and Hope Ledford. Music by Mike Pinto. Sound editing by The Sound Senegoma. Special thanks to the team at the Campaign Workshop. Please review, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.